This week, we are joined by Kevin Isabel Ryrie, who currently resides in Kitchener, Ontario. Isabel identifies as non-binary and prefers the pronouns they, them. Isabel started working in the industry with a job at the back of house at A&W and currently works as a server and shift captain at Elora Mill. During our interview with Isabel, we talk about how the focus on speed of service and a sense of urgency and teamwork translated well from the back of house to a career in the front of house, how tip pooling leads to cohesiveness on the work floor, the importance of cross-training on various roles and how that enables you to understand how everything fits together in the workplace. And Isabel also discusses coming full circle with gender expectations and how they feel more free and happy identifying as a non-binary human. Enjoy the show. All right, welcome to another episode of the Industry Podcast. I'm Kip. This is Dan. What's going on, buddy? Not much, man. Just hanging out, uh, being awesome as always. Mm -hmm, Yourself? mm -hmm, How are things mm -hmm. with you? Pretty good. Not awesome, but pretty good. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, How was your Halloween? Uneventful, actually. Uh, I was hoping there'd be a lot of kids coming by, just uh, see a lot of, you know, hand a lot of candies because I bought a lot. Mm -hmm. And I had two. Two kids. Yes, two. That's uh, leaves me about. I don't think we got any at my house, but I live at home, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, first world problems. Yeah, they are. I got a bowl full of candy now. Yep. Time to bulk up for winter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have a great guest joining us shortly. Kevin Isabel Ryrie will be joining us very shortly. But first, let's just get through the shit. If you like the show and you want to be on it, you should, uh, you have, you're in the industry, you should email us at info at the industry.club. Or you can DM us at the Industry Podcast on industry, on Instagram. If you like the show just and you just want to help us out, just subscribe, rate, review. That's the way to do it. Correct. Post, uh, give us a nice five-star review. Yeah, and make sure you check out the archives as well. You can hear a lot of old shows because this is episode number 84, I believe. So there are a lot of episodes in the can. 84? Yeah. How about that? Son of a bitch, eh? Do you, you want to read through all of them? No. <laughs> sure. Episode number one. <laughs> Actually, it was Dan Collins. I still remember that one. Yeah, it was Dan Collins. Yeah, and he was drunk. Yeah, <laughs> as were we. <laughs> it's amazing that how a little sobriety has improved the quality level of the show. Um, Just a little sobriety. Just a little. Okay, in addition, as always, great thanks to Zach Hanna at Zach Hanna Design for the great artwork uh, that he does for our Instagram page. So you should check him out if you need any graphic artwork done. Uh, that's Z-A-K, Zach. Mm-hmm. And as always, there'll be links in the show notes. So you can just check it out there. Sure. Easy way to do it. Mm-hmm. After you subscribe. Fuck yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, enough about us. Let's bring in our guest, uh, Isabel Ryrie. How you doing? I'm doing really well. How about yourselves? We are all right. Yeah, no, he's right. awesome. I'm okay. okay. Yeah, right. We just talked about this. You're not great, yeah. but like yeah. pretty good. That's, yeah. that's all right. Yeah, that's, that's all right. Yeah. Yeah, Keeping my head above water. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. You're very yeah. welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm yeah, so this is another live in, in-person human episode, which mm-hmm. is uh, becoming uh, more common here, but uh, still got a little hard to get used to. I'm used to looking at people through a TV screen. Yeah. Or like through a plexiglass between us, or even just a mask wearing yeah. while you're talking. I mean, I've been serving, so it's just 
just you're constantly wearing a mask while talking to people. It feels really nice. I, I got a couple questions about that, actually. Uh, first of all, like, why are we not forcing servers to get vaccinated? Like, That is a really weird situation, yeah. honestly, because a lot of other industries have definitely gone that route and been like, you need to have be vaccinated by a certain length of time or else you're going to be suspended without yeah. uh, without pay just after that. I'm surprised that it's not just kind of through the board um, because especially you're in a food service environment, you're going to be engaging with people who are not wearing masks. Yes. Why not make sure that we all are vaccinated so that we can then serve safely and just it's, take that. It makes no away. sense to me. It yeah. seems like the, like a certain, like a, 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 like it makes like a total makes sense area of life where like of all the jobs, wouldn't this be one where you would force people to? But I don't get it. I, I feel like it's the way the government sees service staff rather than it not being as an important position. You know, the one of those classics, we weren't um, an essential service, even though we're right on that front line. And I understand that this is a... Um, an extra thing you get to do. You don't, you know, you don't sure. have to go to a restaurant or anything. It's not the same level of a, like nurses or anything to that effect. But it's just a very big part of our society, a part of our culture. So mm -hmm. I'm really surprised that you wouldn't want those people on that front line of interaction with other humans to be vaccinated. Yeah, it just well, seems like a good idea. We got all our hands all in their shit too, like their food and their drinks. <laughs> like I just, I don't know, it doesn't make sense to me. Interact with a lot of different people too, right? Yeah. Exactly, so. yeah. The flow of constant different people that yeah. you have no control over really who comes into your business other than now obviously we got the vaccine passports, but like just yeah. there's no consistency of the people you would interact with. So, yeah. That's another question I have too, to be honest with you. Like if everybody in there has to be vaccinated, with the exception of the servers, obviously if the, if the servers don't have to be a vaccinated it makes sense that they should have to be wearing masks well, why the fuck are we still doing this mask thing like if we're all vaccinated in there why do I have to put a mask on to go to the bathroom like if I'm a guest it, I, that makes no sense to me it feels like it's just a rule to just enforce to make sure that we're all aware that masks are still a thing that yeah. we're not just forgetting it right but it definitely feels rather arbitrary to be like okay but I'm sitting at my table for the last two hours yeah and now that I'm going to take the 10 steps to go to the washroom and come back now I need to put a mask on because that changes the air only works when we're up standing up <laughs> yeah, it makes you're no sitting sense. down bacteria doesn't travel at yeah. that point or you know that's yeah, not I've, how that works I've been saying since the start of this whole shit I'm down with any rules that get us to the other side of this pandemic Absolutely. that's what's best for everybody but just make them make sense like I, I just have some logic behind them that's all I ask they do definitely seem like some arbitrary lines in the sand yeah. and frequent occurrences well we're almost home I feel like like you were mentioning before we started recording that you were out and uh, now that there's no capacity restrictions you can actually mingle yeah and uh, you've kind of forgot how to do it I, I definitely <laughs> did as much as I talk to people all the time I am very controlled environment as mm. to like no you're gonna sit there and I'm gonna spiel at you and talk about how awesome our food is now when it's just like oh wait how do I join in a group of people that um, I don't I don't know as well like okay what are the social norms these days as to how to do that um, yeah, yeah I know it's weird we're got to relearn a lot of shit but <laughs> we are but it's but it's, it was fun I was yeah just That's at good. the, the Jane Bond last night I had a great time that's a wonderful team there and yeah shout out to the Jane Bond and all their great staff yeah. we should get somebody from them on this show at some point oh, yeah. both Mel and Zach probably would both be able to yeah yeah get them get them on at the same time um, <laughs> <laughs> okay so let's uh, delve a little bit into your history well since you're the fucking guest and everything I uh, <laughs> seems like a good idea absolutely <laughs> I'm talking about my problems with yeah. COVID. 
<laughs> to be fair, there are problems yeah. with COVID. We get to, yeah, yeah I, I feel I like. I actually just had you on the show so you could listen to my opinions for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I think that. Blah, blah, blah. That's definitely why I came here. Yeah. For sure. yeah. Perfect. So yeah. we agree. We agree. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start out. Uh, how did you first break in? Like, I know, in your um, bio, you said you chose to start with your time at A&W. And yeah. a lot of people have, uh, have been on the show have started in that fast food sort of area. So tell us about that and what you felt you could learn there. Absolutely. I feel like my time there really shaped how I view service. Mm -hmm. um, I worked at a pretty good location at the time. I, I struggle to go there now because it's not what it was. But I... I worked there for about three and a half years, starting just as you know a line cook, whenever, and eventually was the assistant manager of location, and really enjoyed the the focus on speed and accuracy, and how you can get more out of a group of eight to ten people than you really think is possible mm -hmm. if you're doing it solo. You're just thinking about oh, during a lunch we could do 150 cars through the drive-through, and you're like how. How does that work? You like start to have an average time of 30 seconds at the drive-through window for lunch, and you're like, okay. So while they were talking on the phone, or sorry, on the um, the speaker, we were able to start making all of the things in the back of house while that's happening. And by the time they get to the window, you can obviously like almost have it ready for mm. them. Then it feels very weird. The, for a while, I remember people like, what the heck? Because you just pretty much you're handing money and you're handing them their food at the same time yeah. and saying, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and please don't count that because we've got four more cars behind you. So mm. yeah, it's a it was a very different type of service, but one that I really really enjoyed. As long as it paid better, then I might have stuck with it a little bit longer. Yeah. yeah. But as soon as I started serving, that was uh, it's like uh, I'm never going back there again. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so what would you say was your first like serving gig? Um, that was at Symposium, mm -hmm. um, I, at the Uptown location. I I did a lot of short time stints in that part of my life. I was a little more irresponsible, I'd say, now than I am. So I was at Symposium, and I also, at the same time, worked back of house at Eastside Mario's at the University Plaza. Okay. I got both those jobs at like the same time. I was like, okay, cool. I will work this whole try a little bit of both. I had a friend at Eastside who got me that gig, and I was like, okay. And I remember seeing the level of work at both places be very similar. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, I was working hard for the dinner service at Eastside. So that giant Eastside, there's a lot happening there. Mm -hmm. And then going to the front house, and then I walked with a couple of shifts with like actually good money. You're like, oh, <laughs> this is what we do here? Okay, yeah. cool. I, I love the back of house. I love that, but I think that I found my home up front. I really, I mean, Symposium was a great example of a restaurant that at the time, was so non-structured, exactly the opposite of what I'm doing now, is that there was four sections, the patio, the back, the middle, and the front. And sometimes, instead of cutting a board, it'd be like, you'd kind of cut a board, but also you'd have tables sometimes both in the patio and at the very front of the restaurant. Hmm. And that restaurant was a country mile, so that, there's yeah, that doesn't no, seem efficient. <laughs> no, it was really interesting. Um, <laughs> looking back at it, I, I see the flaws, yeah. if you will. Um, but at the time, you don't know any better. You're just like, this is what we do. That's what you do. Yeah. Okay, you got tables there, you got tables there, and you're trying to make sure you don't forget anyone. Because right. that's one of the things about sections of matters is that you have everyone in your line of sight, 
you can then actually make sure that you're not forgetting it. You can see everyone mm -hmm. in front of you. It's very easy to not forget people. But if you have people all over the place, right. I can't handle that. I, no. I go crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's the... Like, that's the whole reason for sections, right? And it's like, it's the easiest way to tell if you, like, yeah, it's the best the best spots are when you can actually, like, literally look out over your whole section without having to move. Yeah, like, you know? absolutely. And, and then you know if people need something and whether you need to bother them, right? Like, you can prioritize then. You're yeah. like, oh, I need to go this, this, this. Absolutely, I need to clear those first, or I need to get those guest drinks before I clear this on the way out. Yeah, you can start to formulate a bit of a plan. Um, and I think as I've progressed in serving, just the, the having a plan is much more prominent within my thoughts than just going and piecemeal, just like, well, I got to this table and they had plates, so I cleared plates. Yeah. Like, okay, that's, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, there's more to it. There's a little more nuance than knowing when they can wait and when they can't wait and everything. Yeah, it's sort of like a dance step after a while where you're just kind of like, you got to make your loop of your section and like sometimes it's taking plates off, sometimes it's bringing plates, but it's like, you know, you, you sort of get once you get the feel for it, it's got it becomes kind of second nature. Yeah, and every restaurant definitely has its own flow for that. Yeah, based on how many steps, everything. But it's uh, every, once you find your groove in a place, yeah, it feels like why was this ever difficult? Right. I mean, to a point, I'm, there's always stress about service, but why did I struggle so much when I started? The worst actually is learning a new POS system. When your brain is like, I know exactly what I need to ring in, and it takes you four minutes to find all the buttons. Mm -hmm. Right now, I have a sea of green, okay, in yeah. front of me. Like every single button on that menu for a lot of places is just green. There's like all of our wine lists, like old like wine, just just a wall of green. And on some of them yeah. are written as by the producer first, and some of them by the vintage, oh, yeah. and some of them by the grape. And you don't know unless you know which one it is. Right. And so searching through that swath of um, of a list there can get a little difficult. Yeah, I made that mistake of the first POS that I loaded up as an owner, and I was just like, and we had a big long wine list, and I was just doing that too. I was like, I, we'd get a new wine in, and I'd put it in, in a totally different way than I had put in all the other ones. And I was like, <laughs> service I fucking kept. hated me. Yeah. <laughs> Not just for that reason, but. Right, yeah, but I mean, yeah, one of, one yeah. of many, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we, and you're working at, this is at Alora Mill. Right, yeah. I'm working at the Alora yeah. Mill now. Yeah, I went slightly off topic as I'm want to do. Mm. Um, I am. It's been been great. I've been there for just over a year now, um, working with a lot of people that I've I've encountered in KW. Honestly, we take about seven cars in the front of house, I think, to get there from Kitchener, and we probably could take two yeah. uh, because yeah. of everyone literally working in KW that is in the front of house there, pretty much, other than like a couple people from Alora and everyone else is just from here. So. Yeah, I guess not a lot of people who work at Alora Mill actually work in, or live in Alora, right? Yeah, it's not... <sighs> I mean, I'm not sure the exact reason why we don't have more people from that, but I think definitely they, they love getting more established servers if you can, mm -hmm. and it's hard to probably become as established as a server that people would know in that community, necessarily. There are a couple of really nice spots, but they're a little bit more boutique, a little bit smaller, or else they're like the, the brewing company and stuff. Mm. That's, that's definitely a different style of service. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting doing. downtown area. Like, you have the mill, which is really nice, and then you have, like... There's like that weird sports bar that's just off the corner there, yeah. and uh, then you got like 
Well, the porch light. It's yeah, the porch light. Yeah, that's the place that stays open till two. Yeah. So I have recently found my way there. Now yeah. that's like again, you get off at one, you're like, okay, well, where are we going? Yeah. The one place that's open. Right. Sure, we can handle that. I don't think I'm allowed to go back there actually. <laughs> <laughs> how did how do you manage that? The porch light. I feel like anything can go on. We there. went there for I. So we had a. I got married at the Alora Mill, mm-hmm. and so we had to go up. What well, we got to go up is actually amazing. We got to go to do the food tasting thing. Right. So we had like a dinner and they said, okay, you can bring another couple. So we brought one of my best buddies and his uh, wife and uh, we proceeded then. Michael Anderson was uh, our serving us and uh, okay. like really helping us out with the wine. And like, <laughs> and, and we got pretty bombed. And then we went to the porch light after and started drinking martinis for some reason. We ended up having to get like over the limit to take us home uh, and our car and then, but at some point, we I just we were outside and we still had all our drinks. Oh. <laughs> Walking down the street, yeah. I'm like, wait, this doesn't wait. seem right. What are we doing? Right. If we were at the mill, we could have taken the drink to the room or something. Yeah, but yeah. like, we're not. We're at the porch light. Yeah. This is not a thing. No, no. Just okay. Walking down just the street down. with martinis, <laughs> like a, like we we're in fucking New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, that's always the, that right level of intoxication. You're like the rules don't really apply anymore. That's I'm right. just doing yeah. what I want now. That's this is fine. <laughs> Uh, brutal. Um, okay, so back to you. Yeah. <laughs> when you, so you were uh, you're, you're, okay. you're line cooking at uh, right. East Side, East Side, and you're serving and, at yeah. Um, so then I definitely the one day got scheduled for both, and then there was one day where of course the sorry, two different scheduling sorry. managers did not coordinate very well, and I at the time I was unaware of just how restaurants in general schedule very last minute. Sometimes getting your schedule the day before the week of the next, like the next week, depending on where you are. Right. So I had a situation where both of them released the schedule late, and they, there was a conflict. And rather than being an adult and deciding that I should tell one of them that I wasn't going, um, I just no called, no showed at uh, Eastside's. And uh, it, yeah, yeah. This, this again, as I said, irresponsible days. I <laughs> use my words now, if you will. Yeah. But uh, yeah, then I just I went to symposium and yeah, like then worked there for a little while. Actually. It was my manager at the time, uh, Kevin Pierce, is someone I work with at the mill now. Like, oh, weird. Those, no. Yeah, bit of a throwback from 15 years ago. Yeah, but I enjoyed just learning how to serve and just being engaged in that type of service and the controlled chaos, if you will, of serving where there is, you're being pulled in so many directions constantly and it's about figuring out how to make everyone happy or happy-ish um, before they leave. Um, mm-hmm. It's been... Quite delightful. We've had a few people who've done this on the show before, mm-hmm. but how did you find that your experience working back at house helped you when you moved to the front of the house? I think prioritize like the urgency. Mm-hmm. I think is the the epitome of any restaurant worker, whether it be back house or front of house, is that sense of urgency to do with all actions. Like you, you got to be walking with purpose. You got to be. On top of that, because by the time someone's asked you for something, it's probably too late, mm. right? If you if you see someone at that quarter of the beer, if you're asking them then, it's much more likely they're going to say yes than if they're completely empty. Because they've, they're empty, they've had enough time to think about, maybe I should be done drinking for the night. So I found that that's, that focus on speed of service and that urgency just really translated well into the front of house kind of environment. And the teamwork aspect as well. I think you're in a good place that there is a lot of, a lot to be said about front of house teamwork. 
that often can get pushed aside in the context of trying to focus on your own tips. Mm -hmm. um, I, I struggle with an environment where everyone is very focused on themselves. I very much like being in a pooling system, which I am actually right now, wherein, yeah, you, you help each other because they're gonna do the same, and if everyone's on the same page, then you just get through service better. You don't have to have all of you being feeling like you were alone on an island mm -hmm. and not actually benefiting from the fact that you are all working together. You, right. You're all here. Um, you don't have to only focus on your own thing. You can look beyond your section. Um, and I think that's from the kitchen. You you would always be helping each other. Yeah, you've got your you know station in front of you, but that would be an assumed help because, again, they're not worried about their tip at that point in time. You just worry about getting through service and doing it well. And, yeah, you sometimes let someone struggle a bit when they're learning because they need to get better, but the default of helping each other when someone is struggling, I found to be very present in the kitchen, at least the kitchens I was in. Um, and I thought that that actually really translated well into the front of house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am a staunch believer in the tip pool system for just that reason, because I've worked in lots of, lots of different places, obviously, where they do it different ways. And if you don't do the tip pooling, then it's, it almost leads itself, lends itself to being like a more selfish environment for the servers. Like, I remember, well, I was working at Ethel's, and we'd just be like, you'd have your section, and I didn't give a fuck about the other section. Like, if somebody was on the other, in somebody else's like section... Like, waving you down? Yeah, be like, like, no, not, fuck not, not, not mine. No, not <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't see your hand there. No, absolutely. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm magically blind looking directly at don't you. Don't you understand? You're not in my section, therefore I cannot see you. <laughs> <laughs> you know how this works? Like, <laughs> Especially the guests who don't understand yeah. the business are like, I don't understand why they won't help me. They're so mean to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just kept. The, they're mean to everyone. It's fine. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> not pretty much back then. Um, uh, okay, so after you, at some point, you break into sort of more of um, the yes. cocktailing side of things. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I I then served several other places, including okay, well, so I was at Eastside's. I oh, a Burb. So that was my first real like busy upper scale. Like at the time, I felt upscale place that I served where I, you know, had a proper section. That was not a pooling system, but that was, you know, when I was started to make consistent good money, because it was, I, I joined the team as they were opening. I just, I walked in as they were having an orientation and gave my resume and was hired for the next day. So I had about two days of training and then we, we launched um, that procedure. Had a, had a pretty good time there for a while. There was some sketchy things that have recently come to light that yeah. feel very justified knowing that that was most likely very true at the time as well. Things like kitchen tip out not really adding up based on how many hours they worked. They're like, I know what we're doing in sales here, and they seem to be getting a very small amount. Of, oh. Oh. Yeah, I'm like, that's not the, this, some math is not adding up here. And yeah, because it was, you know, a decent percentage uh, tip out, I was like four, four and a half. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I just don't think that number, based on what we were doing in sales I, and based on what the kitchen team was getting, I was like, that they should be getting more than yeah. this. I don't know where else the other money's going. But I had a really good time really learning that that busy, you know, you have 30 people at a time and you, you're just constantly going and learning about craft beer at that point. I remember, though, of course, looking back, I've after this, I then transferred into... Um, 
bartending, but I remember asking what the heck a simple syrup was. Oh, like, yeah. you know, that kind of thing where I had no knowledge. Mm. I had a lot of personal skills and no knowledge about anything to do with how things are made when, when it comes to the bar or anything. Remember before I started the trunk, we get into that, but like I didn't know what a Manhattan was. You know, it's that kind of stuff that baffles my earlier self that I didn't take a little bit of time learning that part of the craft um, and then how much it helps you in other positions. I really think that the more people are cross-trained, the better they are at their jobs is the general rule. Yeah. If they can actually talk about the other positions and the food. Yeah, that's very helpful. I feel like if you know, the more you know about the different um, <clears throat> areas of the restaurant, though, obviously the more uh, you can get across to the guest as well, right? So, um, okay, so you did start working at, so you worked at Be at the Museum for I a did. little bit? Yes. Uh, so I I lived in Toronto for a little while, worked at a, a just a, pop, a pub, um, Popper's Pub, and then just had a decent time there, but the Toronto life wasn't quite for me. And I came back to Hitchener, and my good friend Natalie, she got me a part-time gig serving at the Be at the Museum. Had a... Great time. That team at the time was quite fantastic. I really enjoyed all of that, both back of house and front of house there. And was working there a couple days, maybe three days a week. And I was there late one night and just on the bar stools. I remember having old fashions and the bartender from the Grand Trunk that had opened up a month before this at this point, named Dan Rice, he, uh, he and I had a conversation over old fashions at two in the morning and he had just been ghosted by uh, his other bartender, the two of them, uh, Alan. And um, he was like, hey, I've seen you around. Seemed like you got a pretty personality. I know that, like, and we talked about the fact that I don't know my foot from my uh, face when it comes to <laughs> bartending. But it's like, okay, I think that maybe you could be the right person to just like let's let's train in. So I went and saw Daryl House the next day. Um, had a 10 a.m. just conversation uh, over at the bar, and within a week, then I joined that team as a full time bartender. But my my homework for that first night, I remember, was just like you know I needed to know what. It, Proper specs on a martini, a margarita, a Manhattan, an old fashioned. I feel like there was one other in there, but it was just, you know, your basic as fuck classic cocktails. Um, and so I had to study that. And I remember the, the first couple of weeks being very interesting about, you know, what their menu was and just not knowing how to flow behind a bar. Mm -hmm. Because at the time, there's, there's not a lot of space behind that bar. I mean, there's not a lot of space behind almost any bar that you're going to work at. And we only had one set of all the ingredients in the middle, and we would have two bartenders on each side, so you'd be constantly grabbing into the middle, and sometimes like you'd be making similar things, and right. so that was a uh, interesting yeah. uh, service there. We eventually put two two different sections. They didn't all, yeah, right, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I know this is a weird thing to be like, oh, we can actually just double up all of our syrups, <laughs> and then you just have your own. It's <laughs> magical, but uh, yeah, that was that was really fun and really. And it really got me to love the the bartending side of things. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that people very frequently were constantly talking about is just like, oh, are you a mixologist? All right. And I've been always really hesitant to take that title upon myself because I'm not really here about the mixologist. I want to be careful on detail. I want to be accurate. I want to make sure that the same cocktail that someone else created, I can create. I'm going to measure everything. It's going to be the same every time. And the technique's important. But 
I'm a bartender because I'm here about giving the person in front of me an experience at the bar talking about whatever we're going to talk about tonight, whether it's comic books, whether it's politics. We try to avoid that one, but like, you know, it's like whatever the case is, I want to just them to feel welcome within a space mm -hmm. rather than focus on, yes, but I'm awesome because I spent four days creating this ingredient. Right. Like fucking star bartending and like, yeah, I, we've had a few conversations about that on the show with some... Uh, people from around the world and it's like I, I don't know how all of a sudden like mixing drinks became like some sort of a star making uh, profession but uh, yeah. it's it's crazy to me like I mean maybe it's just because I'm old and I've been doing it for a long time but like it just like it never occurred to me that this would be a role where you'd be like on YouTube and like 8 million followers or whatever the fuck for like making a margarita like yeah, <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't know how we got here <laughs> and I do think that Part of why I loved the Grand Trunk was definitely that it was the first place that I really felt I was on display, mm -hmm. right? You're really in the center of that bar. If For those who don't know, like it's a very Southern Soul food, craft cocktails, a darker space, and you were prominently displayed as you walked in behind the bar. Uh, the lighting really accented that. And you get to be the voice in the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing it well and creating a buzz around you, that part drives the sales of the restaurant. It can drive the whole experience that you're going to get no matter if you're not doing cocktails. If you're just going food, but everyone over there is laughing and having a good time, that's the part about the star bartending or whatever that mm -hmm. I, I do appreciate because you make an impact that way. But when it gets into the... <laughs> The amount of effort you put into all the ingredients beforehand, if it made the drink better, awesome. Do it. Absolutely. I want you to have the most delicious cocktails, the most interesting stuff. But if you're just, you know, pumping up your tires about for yourself, being like, oh, I'm awesome. Please, I'm going to tell everyone how awesome I am. Then that's not really the spot for you. And I think I definitely fell into that trap about a year into the bartending there. Oh, I, yeah. uh, my ego started writing uh, checks I could not cash. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm very happy that I've moved away from that part of my persona, I'm pretty sure anyways. Yeah, so how, like, uh, I, but that's something that can sort of easily happen. Like, it's your first time. You're all of a sudden now you're responsible for making your own cocktails yeah. and, like, you it's easy to get a big head about it because, especially at that time, there weren't that many bars even making craft cocktails in That's town. True. So it was like basically Grand Trunk and White Rabbit at, yeah. uh, at the time. And then a couple, then it's really exploded since then. It now, very much has. Yeah. We were definitely on the forefront at the time of, you know, obviously forefront for Southern Ontario at the time. Obviously, things had been happening in the States for a little bit before sure. then. But yeah, there was nothing quite like that space within KW. Mm. And so we were really tapping into a market that was very excited for us to be there. And yeah, it, it started to, you know, build up into your head. Um, one of the things that we used to always do is that between myself and Dan and eventually uh, Katie, sorry, Cass, and we did a cocktail competition every week where it'd be like you'd pick a spirit Pick whether it was tequila, whatever specific brand, and then that was the only rule was you had to use that as the prominent feature of your cocktail, and you could do whatever you want. And then we'd try to battle against each other, see who could sell the most by the end of the the week and have just a better cocktail. And that both prom, prom uh, sorry promoted us being better at the craft because we weren't quite as satisfied with being second. You know, right. like that's that classic. You want to you want to beat your fellow bartender by having the better drink, but. It also prompt, like, prompted you to focus a little bit more on what you were doing and 
do things that were interesting for people coming in. You know, that was as long as you were doing something that no one else in that area was doing and doing it well, you were going to be busy. And being busy leads to us all winning. You know, like mm-hmm. we, that's we're all chasing being busy. Sure. I mean, yeah. yeah I'd <laughs> Yeah, but and it's good healthy competition too, because like you say, it's like makes everybody better, right? So, okay, so at some point you decide you've had enough of the trunk, or yeah, uh, there was conflict, as there tends to be at times, and uh, eventually I no longer worked for the trunk. Um, <laughs> it was a, it's, it's been great to kind of reconnect with that environment in the last couple of years, but. I needed some time away from bartending. I kind of got disillusioned with the bartending aspect a little bit. Did some serving, did some events for uh, B Hospitality, and eventually ended up back at B, at the museum. But I was hired to do a bar supervisor role, you know, bar manager. Okay, great. I can, I'll serve a little bit, but I'll make some cocktails. I'll redesign this menu, and we'll have a little bit of fun. And it was definitely not quite the same space that it was the four years prior. Different, entirely different team. Mm. But I got in there, and about a week into being there, the manager was like, oh, great, I have someone competent here. I quit. And I was like, <sighs> okay, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> Thanks for telling me that while you were interviewing me that you were looking to get out. So I kind of accidentally fell into a manager role there for a little while, and I reminded myself about how much I don't like to manage. Right, people. yeah. <laughs> I, uh, it's not really my scene to have other people be motivated to do the things that I just, in my head, just make sense to just do, and I don't get sometimes why people are less motivated to do so. And also, the amount of hours that you would need to put into a space to try to rehabilitate its image. I mean, so the B is closed. Um, yep. Yeah, they did not make it through the pandemic. Um, that was not shocking news for me. They have a some bunch of delightful people in an organization, but that space always underwhelmed compared to the location being gorgeous, the wood being gorgeous, you have 10 taps. Like I, It just had a lot of ways in which I was very hopeful it could be successful again. And yeah, I was put into a position where all of a sudden I was uh, managing a place. I chose to very swiftly after that put in my resignation as well. Right. Because I, yeah, I was like, that's just not what I signed up for. Um, and then I was at the Bry House. So yeah, took a little time and then... So Stacey Anderson, you've had her as a guest before. Um, her and I had worked a little bit on a couple of events, just in some small stuff. And I was doing some in- independent bartending gigs as well. And so she got me a couple of those. And we had talked about working together. And so the Bry House in Stratford was just opening up. Johnny Kirwin was managing there. And then um, so Stacey was going to be the, the bartender. So I was like, OK, cool. So I went and for what it was, it felt like the Toronto aesthetic in Stratford. They had really done a great job with the renovation. They had an incredible wood fire grill. The food was solid. The, the overall like cocktail menu was was really nice. And I was like, okay, this is great. This is I could be bartending or serving. We would kind of split the front half of the restaurant, and really enjoyed getting back into bartending at that point. But still found myself not interested in being that star tender. I just, mm. I didn't have that same motivation I did five years ago to to try to put my name onto everything we were doing, mm-hmm. but really did enjoy working in that space. And through the winter, Stratford only is pretty dead through the winter, but because of how new we were and how we were executing service, we were not slow. It was delightful to be quite steady, steadily busy 
in a space where we were told in advance, like, oh, it's going to be dead. It's going to be dead. And yeah, we did okay. Um, then that was the last job before the mill. Before the mill. Mm-hmm. So at some point during these, I don't know exactly when it happened, but that you showed up to my bar as Isabel. It was like a yes. different person. Same person, different person. Same, same different. Agreed. Yeah. So, uh, so how did that all transpire? Like, obviously it's not something that happens overnight. It does not. It's so definitely. But also it does. Um, yeah. So one of the things where I have, I've definitely struggled with like gender expectations through a lot of uh, my life. I think I've, I've always been a very competitive person, played a lot of sports, and so I was very much shown how to suppress that part and just focus on the competitive nature. My brothers, we always, I have two older brothers, and we always played to win, and it was only in the last while that I've really been able to look back and see all of these flags that prevented me from expressing myself a little bit more freely. And... So about two years ago, actually, yeah, for Halloween, uh, two years when I was at the Bry House, I decided I was going to go fully in drag. I bought a way too expensive wig, and um, I mean, that's delightful, but it was just, yeah, absolutely, I'm happy I spent that money. And, you know, I dressed up in drag, and I realized as I had this happen, was I was doing it's like, oh, shit, this is something that I've really suppressed for a while. Okay, fair enough. we got to work through this, apparently. (laughs) Um, And I have found myself being incredibly more free as a non-binary human to be able to express myself as Isabel rather than as Kevin. And I am both. I am quite happy being both. But it's been quite the transformation for me. And... I think it's given myself a lot more freedom to choose the things that I want rather than the expectation of what I should do in any given situation. Um, I think just really taking ownership of like, if I want to wear that dress, if I want to wear those heels, if I want to put on that makeup, I absolutely can. I know I experience some privilege when it comes to still being able to access um, white male privilege in that if I choose to not go dressed up a little bit, don't put any effort, I can pass really normally, other than I've got some fancy nails. Other than that, I still can just kind of slink through the day. Mm-hmm. So I definitely have a little bit more freedom in that regard, but I find myself feeling most like myself when I put in a little bit more effort and just make myself feel a bit more glamorous and fun mm-hmm. and yeah. yeah, have a lot more energy, I think, with that, um, and a little bit more free with other people as well. And what was the reaction in general through the community? Because you're a pretty well-known figure at that point, like That's a lot true. of people knew, especially in the bar scene, right? Yes. Like, and now all of a sudden you're out in bars looking very different. Yeah. Um, what was mostly positive? Like, it's, it I was. feel like the community's pretty cool here, so. It was mostly positive. I, I was very reticent, obviously, you know, that's sure. a... <laughs> A bit of a different experience and not knowing how that would be and knowing historically about how much, I don't know if anger is the right word, but the pushback at the very least, pushback when it came to people expressing themselves very differently. And honestly, other than two figures in my life, everyone has been amazing. Um, That has been really well received People, I think, really respond well to someone being more authentically themselves. And if we're able to do that and not apologize for the things we like, whether it be like, oh, I really like 
board games. You know, mm -hmm. I really like flying a kite. I don't know, whatever, yeah. whatever it is, whatever you're passionate about, when people see that passion expressed to you, everyone's on board. Mm -hmm. And I found that the people in my life have been encouraging me. I mean, without my... Uh, my good friend uh, Christina Hughes, I would never have got here to be able to to see that. And one of the things that I've noticed that was the the easiest part of this transition that once I had understanding of there was more than two choices. Because growing up, it was very much either you're a guy, you're a woman, mm -hmm. you could be a trans woman, but like there's a very there's still the boxes are still existing in that way and having some more media representation when it comes to there's more than two boxes for seven billion people uh, right oh crazy I know it's ridiculous <laughs> yeah in everything else we would say it's like oh you know like it's oh we either have small or extra large there's nothing in the middle right right <laughs> absolutely there's only two choices you must fit into one of these make yourself fit into one of these yeah yeah and yeah, people have been very positive, I think, including actually in the workspace. That was one thing I was very hesitant. So when I started at the mill um, just over a year ago, that was when I was first advocating for my pronouns to be they, them. And I remember feeling like it was, I was put it, placing such a burden on those around me to be asking for that, um, to, to really put myself first in that, like, that's that's how I see myself. And it felt like a lot to ask people, but I was just as I switched jobs, I was like, okay, this is the best time to do that. They're gonna learn right at the beginning, these are my pronouns, they'll never know me as Kevin, he, him, unless the people that have known me in the past. And it worked really well. I was very concerned at, you know, fine dining establishment that I'd have to present myself in a much more reserved manner and they've never called me out for any of my flair, if you will. You know, I, I have painted fingernails and I wear fancy earrings and definitely have more of like a glam makeup look every time I work. And it's been embraced in a way in which I was not expecting at that level of establishment, honestly. So you're working as Isabel at the Alora Mill. So I'm, my name tag is Kevin. Okay. Um, I introduce myself as Kevin. I don't introduce my pronouns to tables because I don't want to have to spend half my shift educating people. Sure. Right? They're just like, yeah. I was like, I, as I've done this, I feel like I've accidentally earned a minor in like gender studies at this point because <laughs> the amount of times I've had to just like go through the basics with mm. people. And that's okay because I'd rather educate people frequently then, like, because that means they're curious. They right. want to know information that they probably don't have access to. And, yeah, but I, I go as Kevin. And I think that's either there, there's been times in the last while that I've thought about switching that name tag, absolutely, or else adding in they, them to that name tag as well and just not really addressing it other than is there if anyone's paying attention. As long as my coworkers are respecting me and my pronouns, then that's what matters because the, the guests coming in, I'm going to give them a great time, and if they remember me, awesome. Mm -hmm. But it's not about my experience. It's about their experience when they're coming into the establishment. At least that's the way that I've kind of framed that. And if I'm making it about me and about the way they're addressing me, then I'm not really – I don't have my priority in the right place. Right. Um, I want them to have a good time. I would love them to be able to honor and address me that way, and probably I will get that way at some point. But at this juncture, it's been – more focused on making sure that I'm solid within myself mm -hmm. rather than having other people need to constantly reaffirm that. Uh, the people in my friends, that's great if they could do that, but just strangers, like, 
I wouldn't care about their opinion if they were talking about anything else. So why would I care about that opinion? Point. You, have, you have a great attitude about it. But honestly, for as long as I've known you, you've kind of been that way where it's like, and even going back to what you were talking about with just jumping into like bartending and like with no knowledge at all. And like, I remember like the first time I saw you working there, it seemed like you were in complete command. So like you're, once you've made a decision to do something, then you're just good to roll with it. It seems like, and, and you're immediately kind of comfortable. Now I'm just, I don't know if that's accurate. That's just my read. I do. I do learn things pretty quickly. I am the best procrastinator, you know. So I mean, like, and I know that's a lofty statement, but especially uh, in this industry, right? Exactly. Yeah, we're all we're all a bunch of that. We, I mean, that's that ties into like my ADHD and the fact that I can intake a lot of information quickly if I'm hyper focused on something. I can learn something very quickly, but to actually put the time in to learn that thing is sometimes extremely challenging. When I do. I, I don't lack for confidence, yeah. I think, would be the best way to describe it. So when you're seeing me in command, I very swiftly got to that point where I felt in command there. I, like Once I, I got a rhythm behind the bar of, like, this makes the most sense, I love I love that. Like, on a, say, Friday or Saturday night, when you're making 120, like, six-ingredient cocktails by yourself because someone else is six, and then you you feel that at the end of the night, you're like, I crushed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something to that. There's that reward that happens within yourself. That that's why I feel like we do it. That you know, dopamine, whatever it is. And yeah, I I enjoy feeling in command quickly once I have made a decision. I don't apologize for myself very often. Well, and I um, think that um, like my read on it as well is that your like your your whole attitude about it is the right way to look at things, right? Like just like from you saying that you're not trying to educate people, but you're happy to, and but also like. You're not trying to make it about yourself. It's still about the guest, and like it just seems like if you come at any of these decisions from that sort of an attitude, then that makes things a little easier to just like to do something that was. I mean, it's a pretty big decision, like, yeah. and probably. Yeah. But I feel like it would have uh, the fact that you went into it with that attitude must have made it easier for you. It definitely it it makes it a little smoother. I think there are times when I probably have not advocated enough for myself in the past Mm -hmm. when it comes to the experience of those around me. And now being able to do that for the people that matter in my life, but also just knowing where that separation is. I mean, obviously, the the guests matter, yeah, but it also, that shouldn't define my day. Sure. Right? There's how many people do I get to interact with, and will I see them twice a year? Okay. Um, right. Sometimes you get that regular, you're going to see more often. That person, maybe I'm going to spend a little bit of time actually interacting with. Now, part of why I actually like working at the mill is that it is constantly people I don't know. Right. I don't mind serving people I know, but what I found by being in downtown Kitchener for a lengthy amount of time was that you start to know a lot of people. Everyone. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, in so many words, absolutely. And trying to have a different type of service for each person, like there's a certain, you know, you're Mm -hmm. you're a different level of familiarity, and all of a sudden you can't just put on, if you're having a bad day and you go to work in in the mill right now, I'm like, I just put on my server game face and I just go crush it. At least that's Mm -hmm. the hope anyways. And... When you're dealing with people you know, they want to be a little bit more real with you. 
And that can be great on a good day, but on a bad day, you're like, I don't have the mental capacity to be more real with you right now. I'm just trying to get through my day. And at the end of this, we could talk, but like, I can't be real with you right now because then I'm going to actually get into what's not working for me. And no one wants that while you're serving. I really struggled with that when I was bartending and serving as well, because some days it was, I just couldn't get into it. And like, and people would take it personally. And I'm like, it's not personal. It's just like, I'm what work. Right. And then I'm and not, I'm not having a good day. Like it's it's the only well, I'm, there's it's obviously not the only job, but it's one of the few jobs where you're like your mood is not allowed to matter. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Very much. Yeah. People yeah. get upset if you're not chipper as can be, and you're like, oh, how dare you? You're you're ruining my experience. I'm like, yeah. sorry. Do I go into your work and start yeah. asking you questions about your day while you're <laughs> oh, doing fuck. that and I, expect you to be super happy about it? Like, I used to hate when somebody would be like, why don't you smile? Why don't why, why don't you oh. smile more? I'm like. I'm at fucking work. Like, do you like do you walk around the halls of the office grinning like a ninny the whole day? Like, yeah. if you do, then you're psychotic. <laughs> I definitely like look back at some of the dialogues that I used to have and like want to slap my former self because like <laughs> I definitely there were oh, times no, when I've definitely <laughs> said you know like oh like oh you should just be like a little happier smile like and I'm trying to get the the people around me to just get into a little positive space but like what I realized looking back I was like I was such an asshole there yeah. because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah you're like oh they were having a bad day I should have probably tried to honor that and figured out a different way other than just telling them be happy what's wrong with you yeah, you know yeah, like that's yeah. not really a positive reaction for anyone and I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed as I have um, made this change is just really noticing the the habits that I was brought up with as being a a white cisgendered presenting person before there's a lot of things that you do and get away with that no one else is able to do and get away with the expectation of people just working around what your rules are. Mm-hmm. And these are the rules and like, oh, this is society rules, so you just get on board when you're just like, oh, if I can just advocate for, hey, if someone tells me something, I'm gonna listen to that person. Like if this is bothering that person and they tell me that, I agree, that's bothering you. Mm-hmm. Like I don't need it to be right. That doesn't, sure. right? Yeah. You yeah. can just be like, hey. You don't have to share the opinion. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you don't yeah. have to tell me the why. You yeah. can just literally tell me that that's your experience. I'm going to try to honor that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there was a lot of toxic masculinity and stuff that, like, would before really negate that. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of gaslight that and be like, but you shouldn't feel this way. Right. And I'm like, why does it matter if they should or shouldn't feel that way? They do. They do. They do. So yeah. you could just not be a jerk. Someone gets a nickname and they say like, I don't like that nickname. And you're like, fuck it, that's your nickname. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, come on, that's not, like, why? Such a weird thing, eh? Like, that's such a, that's <laughs> a good, a really good example. It's such a weird thing that people, what a weird thing that people do. Like, yeah. Oh, you hate that? Great. Great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to continuously harass you with that. Isn't it going to be a good time for both of us? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I gotta say, Isabel, like it really seems like you're in a really happy space, and you're very well rounded, and it, you really have just like an amazing attitude about the whole service industry right now, and also about like your transition and how that's working for you, and how it should work for other people as well. So it was really great to have you on the show and have this conversation. We appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. It's been yeah. a pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. 